Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Small Town Tourist Podcast, where we experience and explore everything that makes small towns great. I'm your host, Abby Graves, and today we're talking to someone that I consider to be one of the strongest, most resilient humans I have ever come across. We're talking to Liz Fiddler. Liz is a nurse practitioner who is originally from southern Minnesota, but she currently resides in St. Joseph, Minnesota, where she runs Sunny Mary Meadow, a flower farm that's been in her late husband's family for six generations now. Liz has such an incredible story to share and I think that she's just this wonderful spark of creativity and sunshine in the world and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation with her. Please enjoy our time with Liz Fiddler from Sunny Mary Meadow in St. Joseph, Minnesota. Then we all agree that this little town has got its ups and it's got its downs but growing up somewhere else around wouldn't be this place. Yeah that's my hometown. Let's just start out by you giving a quick elevator pitch about who you are. Hi, my name is Liz. I own a flower farm north of St. Joseph, Minnesota called Sunny Mary Meadow. I never planned on being a flower farmer. It just kind of happened by accident. I grew up on a farm in southwest Minnesota. It was a beef farm in the land of corn and beans and rocks and cows. You know, that's that little area. But so definitely not flowers, not uh, not a special market like that. But I was in FFA in high school, which uh, used to stand for the Future Farmers of America, but they've uh, trying to rebrand from that. It's more of a agriculture leadership organization now. But um, my competition was floriculture, where we judged and identified flowers. So I really enjoyed that, but I had no idea how I would make money from that. So I ended up going into nursing, and because I'm an overachiever and um, a performer in some ways, I decided to go back to get my doctorate degree because that's how I would be successful. And after I did that, I realized that I still had hobbies and interests that I wasn't fulfilling. So I started out of COVID. I started a little flower stand where I sold a bouquet of flowers and At the time, my grandma was newly in a nursing home and she couldn't have any visitors. And so I started this program where it was the nursing home of the week. So for every bouquet that I sold at the end of my driveway, I also donated one. Uh, She passed away that June and really never got any visitors the whole time she was in the nursing home. But I ended up delivering over 200 bouquets that summer to local nursing homes. And it ended up just really taking off with my business and my husband at the time. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, my husband and I really uh, canned a lot of goods and we got our cottage food license and we sold like salsas and jellies and all of that with the food stand. You know, didn't really know quite what direction we were going to take it to other than the flowers. And then he tragically passed away. He had a heart attack that December. And so I was trying to decide if I was going to keep doing the flowers and ultimately I got an email from a complete stranger who said, hey, if I buy 200 bouquets for local nursing homes will you do it and I don't know how to do a lot of things but I have a like stubborn part about me that I am confident in my ability to figure stuff out so I said yes without really knowing what I was going to do I ended up calling the florist who did my husband's funeral flowers and I said I need help. Um, I don't have a wholesale license. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I said yes because it sounded exciting and I needed some excitement in my life because at that point it was a couple months after my husband had died and um, plot twist. I was also newly pregnant. I found out the day after the funeral that I was pregnant with our second child. So this was just a um, 
passion project would be an understatement, but you know, I decided to do these nursing home flowers and then I threw it out there to my customers. If anyone else wanted bouquets for Easter and within like two days I had sold another hundred bouquets. So all of a sudden I had to make 300 huge orders and, um, yeah, that was about four months after he passed away. And honestly, I probably would not have done the flower farm again that summer. So then I ended up just really growing and expanding um, over the last couple of years. And I've about 10 times my business. And now I'm actually cutting back at my nurse practitioner career and focusing on the flower farm. And that's about it. Just just, just that. It. It's just simple. It. Yes. <laughs> we got a lot to dissect yes. here. We got a lot. So I initially met you because I severely messed up my back playing golf and I needed medical attention and you were available to book an appointment with. And I'm so glad because it made our paths cross and I'm blessed for that. I tell everyone that you were the best medical provider I've ever had because you didn't immediately push pills on me. You said, no, go to physical therapy and we'll assess from there. And that saved my back. You also told me it was okay to have a bush light every now and then, which no one tells people that. Yeah, well, you know, you broke HIPAA, not me, so we can talk about it. Um, yeah, I, you know, and that's when I talk about, you know, stepping back a little bit from my career. It's going to be so sad because um, I've been a primary provider for about a thousand people in central Minnesota, and I am going to miss my patients so much. You know, it sounds cheesy, but I'm being called in another direction. But I just, after my husband passed away, and I've got two kids now, and we'll get to this in a minute, but I'm also newly engaged, so that's awesome. Um, but I just, I can't be that person to so many people. So I'm, I'm stepping away from being a primary, from being, you know, a PCP um, and doing family medicine, and I'm going to be doing urgent care, just kind of same-day appointments and only one day a week so I can focus on my flower business. And in the winter, if things are slow, I can pick up more and just a lot more flexibility there. But, man, I'm going to miss my patients so much. And that is great to hear about uh, that you liked your care, and obviously you kept coming back. So, yeah, that's how, I, that's how Abby and I became friends was she was my patient, but she broke HIPAA, not me, so we're good. Thank goodness for my messed up back. <laughs> but, no, seriously, I'm upset that you're leaving, obviously obviously, because of the great care. But I'm also just so happy for you because this flower farm adventure and not just the flower farm, but all the stuff that you've done with it as well. It's just so cool to have that as a resource here in central Minnesota because it's so unique what you do. Yeah. And I honestly, I'm not from here. I grew up three hours away. And, you know, here's here's another just plot twist to the whole story. Uh, my best friend and I went to college together, uh, South Dakota State, go Jackrabbits, national football champions this year, by the way. Congratulations. Throw that out there. <laughs> throw that out there. Beat the bison. Like, it's a big deal. So I have to just throw this into the podcast. Anyway, we decided we were graduating. We were trying to find a place where we could both work in our respective career fields. I think, I mean, she's insane. I think she's a triple major of dairy manufacturing, egg communications, and egg marketing or just like amazing person anyway and I was nursing obviously and so we moved up to St. Cloud Minnesota together we thought okay we'll be there for a year maybe two let's just save up a bunch of money we can drive back home together on the weekends and shortly thereafter she ended up meeting um, a wonderful person named Jeff and she introduced me to Josh my husband and we were both married and then as life circumstances would come, she was widowed in 2015 when he passed in a farming accident and she had a seven-month-old daughter. And then fast forward five years later, um, I had a three-year-old and was 
very, very, very newly pregnant when passed away. So we are both Southwest Minnesota transplants, moved to Central Minnesota, both widowed around 30 years old with kids and life is weird. But um, we have both decided to stay and I have a lot of reasons why I've decided to stay in Central Minnesota, but honestly, it comes down to the people and the support and it's you know, please, if anyone's listening from Southwest Minnesota, don't take this as you're not great and you're not supportive. And I don't mean that in any way, but it's it's definitely I've been just so supported to stay in central Minnesota. And it's where I feel his presence and it's how I want to raise my daughters and not just my business, but professionally and personally, I've just been blown away by the support from people. So that's that's why I've chosen to stay in central Minnesota. You know, the biggest thing about my flower farm, so this is the farm that my late husband grew up on. So my daughters are the sixth generation to live there. So it was started in 1888 by my late husband's great-great-grandpa. Maybe I'm not saying that right. Great-great-great-grandpa of my daughters. Anyway, six generations. This farm has been so many different things. There used to be country schoolhouse on it. it. Used to be a USDA inspected butcher shop, a blacksmith shop. They had horses. They had pigs. Uh, they milked cows, and there was a sawmill. And now it's a flower farm. So um, it's been a lot of different things with each generation. And when my husband and I bought it, we weren't really planning to, but it just kind of became for sale as his dad decided he was going to retire and. We didn't want it to see it not be in the family, but I was in grad school and financially it was like, you know, and it's it's only 40 acres, which yes, 40 acres is a lot and wonderful to me, but it's like, okay, how do we how do we make a living off of 40 acres and buy this, but we have jobs in order to be able to afford this and we're only on one income because I'm in school, but okay, and we kind of scraped everything possible together and took a gamble and bought it and the really old farmhouse and you know, we, we planned on, okay, within five to 10 years, we'll build a new house because the house was very original. We'll put it that way. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, dirt floor basement and all of that. Anyway, but, you know, that's not why we bought it. It was not for the house. We bought it for the property, for the ability to raise our kids there. And ultimately, we started Sunny Mary Meadow. We named it in memory of my late husband's mom that I never got a chance to meet. And her name was Mary. And she just had a really sunny personality, the way he'd describe it. And they had this secret recipe, and I I cannot share the recipe. So if you're going to message and ask for it, I will not share it. But I've got some ideas on how to how to still get it in people's kitchens. But they came up with this best Bloody Mary recipe ever. And then we kind of joked that it was Sunny Mary's because he made the recipe with his mom. And we actually had a Bloody Mary bar at our wedding. Yeah, so she passed away in 2010 in a farming accident, but... That was kind of what we named the farm was Sunny Mary Meadow in memory of her. And so I say it, you know, it was named in memory of her, but it's going to thrive in honor of Josh. And um, yeah, so we we had this vision of somehow like getting people out to the farm and sharing the experience and showing the work. And Abby and I were joking beforehand about, you know, we're comparing our social media accounts. And it's just it's just really hard to to share things on social media because sometimes it just gets a bad reputation or I feel like I'm constantly you're you're marketing yourself which feels icky because you're you know but you're telling your story and I think that that's what adds a lot of value to my flowers is just being real and telling the story behind the scenes all of it and I think that you know if people that are disconnected from the farm or you know 
maybe their grandpa grew up on a farm for most people. I mean, or even if that, they're so disconnected. And so just educating people about, you know, this is why this costs this much, or this is why we do this this way, or this is why, you know, okay, organic is this, or this is this, or GMOs or whatever. But if you explain to them, well, this is why we do it this way. And, you know, okay, we try to incorporate these practices, but they're not going to happen overnight. And, you know, the sustainability buzzword and just trying to figure out how to meet people in the middle and figure out a way to do it. Otherwise, we end up with $8 a dozen eggs. And Gosh. So that was kind of, you know, Josh and I's long-term dream with the farm was like, have it be an experience and an educational piece. And I feel like we're really working on that. And I think it's, I think it's coming alive. I think if Josh could see the farm right now, or I don't know, I believe he does see it, but um, yeah, I would love to just talk to him for five minutes for so many reasons, but just to be like, what, what do you think? <laughs> Look what we did. Look what I did. Oh. Yeah, and I think you are doing such a great job because, I mean, you. I follow you religiously on social media because you're great about all of your content. I know it's a lot to run a business, raise two daughters, and also work on social media content for the business, but... Your content is fantastic. You're always letting people know about what's going on. In the summer when you had the extra bouquets, people were on those like hotcakes. You're having people out there to see it and build their own bouquets and experience the farm itself, not just the pop-ups where you're at, which are great too, by the way. Love those. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, people, especially after COVID, you know, people just really want that experience versus things. And so trying to figure out a way to capture that and I do feel like there's a need for you know just locally grown flowers people know where they come from people know their background story and then you know something to do besides oh let's go out for appetizers in a happy hour which don't get me wrong I hardly ever turned down a happy hour if someone <laughs> invites me it's super fun but just something else to do and especially during the summer months and get people outside and learn something new, appreciate something new. Yeah. So I've, you know, I'm still experimenting with how I'm doing a lot of those events because I want to get kids involved, but I also want moms to have like a kid free relaxation. And I also want to provide for some little date nights and just too many things in my brain right now, but we'll, we'll, we'll get it. We'll get it down. It's nice because you don't have to say, okay, I'm doing it this way. And that's the only way I'll ever do it. You can try it. If it doesn't work, adjust. Mm -hmm, exactly. And I think it's one of those things where it's like, okay, what do I want? What do my customers want? Okay. And then what overlaps? Okay. That's working. That's what we'll do. Yeah. Do the old Venn diagram on it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so in addition to your flower farm, you also have written a children's book. Yeah. So that's something I really didn't expect to do. Um, I did it in about four hours. That was definitely kind of a grief project, but it um, has been very successful, <laughs> I guess. If you ask me, I think it has been. But when you go into something with no expectations, it's really easy to be considered successful, I guess, because, you know, the bar is set low. But I was gifted some watercolor paintings. They were black and white paintings of pictures of my late husband and our first daughter, um, our second daughter obviously wasn't born yet. Um, they He had found him on my Facebook page or something. And it was, you know, he's married to a very good friend of mine. And um, anyway, so he painted these. There were little, I think, six by six little blocks of, you know, one was them at a restaurant. One was them carving pumpkins. One was at a Johnny's game, um, SJU. And then one was um, them helping me plant tulips that fall before he died. And... 
I got them and I was like, what, what do I do with these? I need to get them framed, but they're just so good. I'm like, they belong in a book. And then I started thinking about a lot of the children's books that my daughter has. And there's not a lot on grief, but there are some. And a lot of people had given me some grief children's books. But um, I really thought there's got to be a way to incorporate grief and changing of the seasons and, you know, these paintings and try to figure out how to how to put it together. And so I just started writing a book about... Um, yeah, exactly that. How, you know, we have to let the flowers die naturally so that we get more seeds and can plant it on and we have to be patient and we don't get to pick when things bloom. And, you know, so there's definitely a spiritual aspect to it. Just talking about God's timing and having patience and we can't control it. So, um, so then I approached Dan and I said, can you do 12 more paintings? And he's like, okay. Um, so he did them. Um, he did wonderfully. Um, I ended up I really don't have any advice for how to self-publish a book other than um, have a lot of people that are really nice and smart in the industry and maybe played the feel sorry for me card a little bit because nobody told me no. Like nobody told me no. I said, you know, do you know someone that does this? And everyone just put me in touch with the right person. And immediately we had a layout and, you know, I was like, well, I don't want a discount. I want to pay for it. And, you know, just figuring stuff out. And like we... We definitely, you know, got that all done. And, you know, it turns out it's, it's kind of expensive to write a children's book. So if that's ever your dream, you know, I mean, by the time you do all of all of the editing and the, you know, the Library of Congress and ISBN number and all of that. And then I personally bought 2000 books. Um, and when they arrived by palette, um, Dan, the illustrator, you know, we kind of came up with, you know, a way to work all that out. And then the fund, the proceeds from the book go to my husband's scholarship fund at St. John's University. But um, when they all arrived, these like 2000 books on like semi pallets, 2000 books is a lot of books. And, and they're hardcover. And they're hardcover. <laughs> and literally, I was like, what did we, what did I do? What did I do? But honestly, it was only, it wasn't that much more money between 1000 to 2000. So I look at those books as, you know, 50 cents a piece after you buy the first thousand or whatever it ends up being and yeah anyway so then you know I've still got about 400 left but I think that's pretty good okay yeah for only having 400 left out of 2,000 yeah and it was self-published like they were pretty much all sold off on my website you can buy them on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Target I think but those are through this Oh, print on demand company. And I mm. think I get like 42 cents a book or something like that. So buy them for me. If you're listening to this and you want to buy my children's book, SadieMaryMeadow.com, go to books and buy it on my website. And then it goes toward the scholarship fund. Either way, it goes toward the scholarship fund, but there's a little different profit margin between the two. But, you know, and then I can get these 400 books out of my basement. But, um, <laughs> you know, it was definitely a learning experience and a process there. But yeah. So it was good. And I, I do get a lot of letters and messages and people are right, you know, buying it for anyone that's going through a tough time or grieving or, you know, it's just it's had a really good response, I think. And it's a very pretty book. So like even if all you do is put it on your coffee table, it's just a very, very pretty book. That's I where think. mine lives. Yeah, there it's you go. been on my coffee table ever since I ordered it from there you. you. Go. There you go. And like you said, it doesn't have to be just for kids. By the time you published it, that was right around the time my husband's father unexpectedly died of a heart attack. And honestly, it took me like two weeks to sit there and look at it before I could crack it open. But once I'm, I did, I was so glad that I read through mm -hmm. it. I'm just like, yeah, that was for kids, but it really helped me mm -hmm. as a fully grown adult. Mm -hmm. And that was honestly my goal when I wrote it is 
So some of these books that my daughter got on grief, like she thinks we're just reading a book about snowmen melting. And I'm like sobbing. And she's like, what's wrong, mom? I'm like, oh, nothing. Like, and they have this hidden message in it. And that was my goal was I told a couple of people, they're like, well, what's what's the book about? What's the goal? And I said, well, when parents read it to their kids at night, I want the kid to think it's a pretty book about flowers and learn how to plant a garden. And I want the parents to be crying. <laughs> like, Mission like, accomplished. Just, just, just tug at the heartstrings a little. Um, and we were huge, huge. I mean, still we and now, you know, so Josh and I raising Vidalia and then now Brent, my fiance, you know, with my daughters now, um, you know, we just read, read, read books. Obviously, I'm a nurse practitioner. I do well child checks for a living. Um, read, 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 read. That's so important for your child's brain development. And I mean, we would read so many books, especially during COVID. And we'd try not to, you know, we were... I will admit, second child watches a little more TV than the first one. Um, <laughs> they always do. But uh, yeah, it just reading is so important to your child, and you know, even twenty minutes at night before bedtime, just think about all of those new words that they will learn, and just even even teaching them patience. Like my daughter Davy is, I don't know what is she, seventeen months now. Like just teaching her patience to wait until we're done reading to turn the page. Like that lesson is important. Let alone the colors and the you know just hearing the cadence of your voice and learning new words and like you can tell when she understands what you're saying or you know if we say clap your hands or whatever it is in the book and she does it or she points to a bear or a new animal like it's just the amount of things you are exposing them to by reading is so important and so that was kind of another way to you know just attribute to my husband and honestly I I think about what you want if it's you that goes and you just kind of want to not be forgotten And to me, if this book sits on a bookshelf for 20 years and all of a sudden it gets pulled out and someone looks at it and they have no idea who he is or my story or anything. And they're like, oh, well, this Josh obviously was a pretty good dad. Like, that's cool to me to think about that 20 years from now and people still reading his name and seeing that. And so that was kind of the the message behind the tribute. It's a lasting legacy. Mm -hmm. So cool. I love it. Big fan. And you're working on another book, right? Are we talking about that? Yeah, we can talk about it. We can talk about it. Um, So I've got about 30,000 words written. Um, I'm not going to say the title or anything, but essentially, and I've, I've been loosely working with one publisher, but we're trying to decide which direction to go. And we've got it kind of sent off and it's in review. We'll put it that way, but it's... Apparently in the publishing world, this is how it really works, is you get everything ready and everything they ask, and then you wait and wait and wait. And I've been waiting for about five months, and I'm getting a little impatient, but apparently that's not terrible. But anyway, you know, I not to, not to throw any names out there or anything like that, but I read a lot of grief books that were kind of humorous, kind of good, and they were directed toward, yeah, young widows or whatever that might be. And some of them made me really mad. They were funny, but they'd talk about grief vultures was a term that one used and it you know it said basically like these people that want attention or they post on Facebook about the person that died and they didn't you're just almost mad because like you didn't even know him you Mm -hmm. weren't even that close and like I saw things like that happening with you know I'm I'm not going to say any examples whatsoever because I don't you know I'm I promise like I've realized how ridiculous that is because if they're grieving and they want to post about that great fine doesn't affect me But this book told me to be mad at them. And so I was mad at them because it's like, how dare you? And, you know, after a while and I was talking to my therapist and I just, you know, and she's like, what do you care? 
Like, you're right. What do I care? It doesn't matter. And I think listening, you know, obviously it's my job as a nurse practitioner to listen to people's problems and yes, prevent other illness and preventative care as a family practice provider. But especially now that I'm transitioning to urgent care, like literally everyone comes to me with a problem. Mm -hmm. So I had to really, really wrap my head around the fact that, okay, these people have problems and to them, this is a really big deal, even though my big deal is my husband died and I'm pregnant and like, you want to talk about a big deal? Like trying to, you know, my cable got shut off because it was under his name and I didn't know how to check his email. Like those were my problems, but their problem is their problem. And, she, you know, like she said, she's like, if you're going to play the game of who has it worse, you're always going to win. And that's a really, really lonely game. And it just, that has always stuck with me is like, I don't, I don't want to play this game. I don't want to win this game. You're right. Other people's problems are their problems. And I don't want to be angry and bitter and lonely. And so the premise of my book is I really hope to help people. I really hope, you know, some people might think I'm attention seeking or sharing too much of my story and that's fine. If that's what they think, that's fine. But ultimately my goal is two things. One, people that are grieving, sharing my story and using those examples, like I said, with the grief vultures or the other people's problems to like, okay, it, yep, we have it bad, but, 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 but this is our choice. Like, this is the path. We can either walk, we can run, we can drag our feet, but this is our path. And the other part of the story is giving grace when people don't know what to say. Because there were a lot of things that were said to me that were very hurtful, like, oh, at least you're young, or, you know, just, just weird things. Like one example was, you know, one person said, oh, well, now we know why Josh died because, you know, a life for a life and, you know, you're pregnant. I'm like, Ooh. Um, so you want my daughter to grow up thinking that the reason her dad died was because of her. Oh no, that's not what I meant. Well, that's what you said. Like, mm -hmm. so then you got to think about intention. Did that person mean to say that intentionally? No, they were just trying to help. They were mm -hmm. trying to find a silver lining and sometimes there isn't one and that's okay. So out of this book, I want to teach people, you know, okay, don't say this because it's really hurtful, even though I know you mean it or you, you think it's helpful. It's really not like anything that starts with at least, you know, in those first like six months, like just don't do it. So, so some examples like that and, you know, like, okay, don't say this like because of this. But also, again, flipping it back to the griever, you can't get mad every time someone says something wrong or you're not going to have any friends left. Mm -hmm. You can't get hurt when someone unintentionally, like you got the intent, intent, intent. You have That's what you have to focus on. And so, yeah, that's kind of what, what the book's about. And I don't know, now that I'm cutting back my hours and hopefully I can get it going. And if you're a publisher listening, like I don't have anything set in stone yet. So, you know, like reach out to me. I got, I got some pages. I got pages. I got 10,000 really well edited so far and 30 that are, that are there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 30,000, 30, 30, 30, or sorry, not 10 pages, 10,000 words that are really well edited and 30,000 words that exist. Oh so, my gosh. Loosely strung together, but yeah. So, but I also, I mean, I have my doctorate degree, so you should see the papers that I've written over my life. So writing's not hard. And actually I found I really enjoy writing, especially writing like this, because it's writing like I talk. It's fun to read. Whereas I'm used to, you know, professional writing and, you know, academia writing. Where citing things. Oh, citing things. Citing things. Oh, if, if my doctoral research committee is listening to this, I am not citing a thing in this new book. <laughs> 
This is all from the old dome there bucket. There is no APA. <laughs> I'm really excited to hear it. You shared a couple of pages uh, back in December on the anniversary of Josh's passing on Instagram. And I read every single word to them, tapped backwards on Instagram, read them all again, because you do have a gift for writing. And I'm just so excited for this book to come out. So hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, I this is this is a uh, this is good. Good fuel for me to like, OK. Okay, I gotta get going on this. I have a flight coming up next week. We're going on a trip, so maybe a airport. Flight. Airport. Yeah, we're going to the Dominican. You're going to the Dominican. Yeah, my fiance's brother is getting married, so it's gonna be really fun. Oh, fun! Yeah, we're only going for like four days, so but or four nights, five days, whatever it ends up being. But I'm gonna be so sunburned. It's gonna but be great. It's gonna be great. No, so we're really looking forward to it. So maybe maybe on the airplane and all that, I can. Yeah, there's there's my. Uh, that's my little message to myself. Okay, get get moving on it. The beauty of an airplane trip is that there's no internet to distract you. You have to do something. Exactly. So you exactly. might as well have that project exactly. ready to go. Exactly. I think it's Michael Scott from The Office. He has a quote, lots of good quotes, but he says, uh, and I'm optimistic because I'm running out of time and I'm getting desperate desperate and desperation yields the quickest results so you know what like I'm almost hoping that this publisher is like all right this is good but I need another 20,000 pages okay like, let me go yeah I work better under a time crunch gotta so. have that pressure yeah well and especially when you have so many things going on because you're not just hyper focused on the book you're hyper focused on raising two girls and running a flower farm and now spring is coming up so you're gonna be prepping for that so you got yeah. a lot going on got, got a little bit got a little bit going on so speaking of spring, what's kind of the first initial wave of stuff you got to get done for that? So I have a high tunnel, which is essentially, so it's unheated. Um, a greenhouse has a heat source. Um, the high tunnel is basically heated by the sun and it more or less gives you a month extension on either side because um, okay. it stays in there or it stays warmer inside the tunnel, but it's planted in the ground. So you need irrigation in there and everything. But I have... Um, a lot of tulips planted in there. Um, I think about 5,000 inside and like 5,000 outside. And then I have a huge walk-in cooler from back when the farm used to have the butcher shop. So I um, I will have, I think, 11,500 tulips this spring. So I'll be harvesting all those, hopefully starting, I don't know, I'm really hoping like the first week of April to have tulips starting to come up. And then, you know, I start with my tulip subscriptions. So that's... Um, I think there's there's some left, but we're we're dwindling. We're there's probably like twenty five percent left of the spring and summer subscriptions, but there it's four weeks in the spring and ten weeks in the summer from July to mid September, um, where people you know every Monday they come and pick up their bouquet. So um, yeah, I'll start harvesting tulips, and then um, I ordered plugs so big trays of plants that will come in may rather than starting them all by seed because when it gets to the point of where i'm at right now like i mean we're talking like 30 seed trays with grow lights and watering them all and keeping them all alive these dainty little seedlings and you know i sat down and i calculated okay how much was my electricity bill with all of those lights how much is my time worth checking on them twice a day which i know a lot of people don't think of it that way but i definitely do like if i'm spending 20 minutes fiddling around lights, watering, rotating trays, because you got to do that. You got to adjust the lights, taller, shorter. If I'm spending 20 minutes to do that, I don't have time to work out in the morning. I don't have time to get my dishes done in the morning. Like there's just, there's a lot of things that I do in the mornings before my kids get up. And it's like, that's not worth it to me. 
you know, and then plus the cost of seeds, that's not free. The potting soil, that's not free. And so, um, you know, I calculated it all out and I ended up ordering plugs that'll be shipped to me uh, mid-May, get ready to send them out, especially things like eucalyptus. Oh my gosh, everybody wants eucalyptus. So I just bought trays of it because otherwise I would have started them like a month ago already or a couple weeks ago already. And it's like, I just don't have time to baby these little seedlings. Like I've got so many other projects going on and Plus, it's not the part that I enjoy. Yeah. I just don't enjoy it. So there we go. But anything that I can start directly in the ground, I do. And then if it's something that, you know, there's a few of them like zinnias, cosmos, status, they're pretty easy to start from seed. And I can start them like six weeks before last frost. So we're talking like the first week of April. That's doable. So I'll probably do 20 trays of those. You know, only 20 trays. Of, only. Of 72 cells a piece. But <laughs> I'll start those myself, you know, beginning of April. But I'm not starting them late January, early February like I have in previous years. Because it's just, I mean, it's three and a half months of trying to keep these little things alive. And then half of them die. And by the time it's all said and done, I'm like, you mean I could have just paid 30 bucks? And uh, okay. Okay. Yep. 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 Per tray. And okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so that'll be exciting, and we are um, adding on the U-Pick this year. Um, we had hoped to do it last year, but just way too many irons in the fire, and, you know, just stay good at what you're good at. And, um, yeah, we'll be having, like, private events, and people come come out and pick their own bouquets, and then I've got my stem bars where you come and you build your own bouquets. I have, like, 20 buckets of flowers to choose from, and you get, you know, this size cup and this many stems, and you just build your own bouquet, and going to be offering some tours and yeah it's going to be great it's I love great the stem season. bar mm-hmm. I did that with my friend last year it was kind of on an impulse too because I knew you were going to be in St. Joe but I had to meet a guy off of Craigslist <laughs> to buy a bow in Albany as one does <laughs> as one does totally normal the bow didn't end up working out not the point but my friend came with to go to the Craigslist meet up because I'm like I am not you don't a go stranger alone. yeah you don't go alone. to buy a weapon yeah, of yeah, all yeah, things yeah, yeah. so <laughs> so I had her with I'm like what are you doing she's like well I'm no, doing nothing after this I'm like well let's go to St. Joe let's go to that stem bar and build bouquets and she's like yeah let's do it and we had just the best time and I'm not great at floral arrangements that's like one of my weaknesses <laughs> my mom's great at it she's tried teaching me for years but just not my thing but even just putting the flowers in the cup they're just gorgeous I don't really need to mess with them well and that's the beauty of you know I I don't claim to be a florist like I did not get training on I'm getting better at it I am um you know but if you want a perfectly you know symmetrical piece with equal parts of this 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 you know funerals weddings that type of thing like Ah, uh, no, nope. Um, but the beauty of my bouquets and why people like them and the people that buy them, why they buy them versus, you know, going to a floral shop and buying the same ones is, you know, it's just an entirely different product. It's like sushi versus steak. Both are great. Mm-hmm. Love them both in their own settings and own reasons. And there'll be some people that like sushi that sure as hell is never going to eat it. Can I swear? Yes, okay. of course. I didn't know. I We're didn't adults. Know. I, I declare didn't know. open swearing. I didn't know if I could swear. <laughs> anyway, they sure as hell would never buy a steak and vice versa. There's people that will never buy both. And then there's people that appreciate both. I'll let you guys decide if I'm the steak or the sushi. I think I know which one I am. Raised on a beef farm, showed cows in 4-H, but I like sushi. So my point is the bouquets that I make, it's probably 15 different kinds of flowers. We've got a status, we've got a zinnia, we've got a cosmo, we've got a sunflower, we've got a dahlia, we've got um, some Chinese forget-me-nots, we've got some amaranth, we've got some eucalyptus, we've got some snapdragons, and it's literally 15 different stems, and it looks so pretty, and it's wild, and there's no organization to it, and it just 
works. And so you don't have to be a florist or have to arrange a bouquet or arrange, you know, something like that. And, you know, never, I said never, ever, ever, ever would I do a wedding. Well, now I'm going to be doing my own wedding flowers for this fall. And anyway. That's ambitious. Anyway, anyway but we'll see. As a 2022 we'll bride, yeah. taking on anything yourself is yeah. so ambitious. Yes, but yes, yes. You got, if anyone can handle it, it's you, so. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for not only Flower Farm, but also your wedding, like on a personal note. I'm just mm-hmm. so excited. You got yes. Flower Farmer Brent yes. with yes. you now. I know, I know. Thank you. Did Thank you talk you. him into starting his own Instagram yet? No. What's, what's going no, on with that? We're, well, I'm, you know, I think I need to just do it. Yeah. I think I just need to do it for him and he'd be, he'd be fantastic. He's so great with the girls, all the stories you post. Uh, like, yeah. I love... He, just he's so cute interacting with he them. Is, he is. He is. Um, you know, and truly, it's hard to it's hard to imagine and put yourself in those shoes. And you know, it's it's already hard to date a widow because there's the grief and there's the things, and it's understanding that I still love, 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 and miss my late husband so much, and I somehow love. It's like having a second child. I don't know how else to explain it. Like, I there just makes more room, and your heart grows, and there he is, and. I don't understand. I think it'd be really hard to be in those shoes, you know, because, you know, people compare them, you know, people Mm -hmm. just, you know, but he he just rolls with it. And he's so respectful of Josh and he's just great. He's just great. And he's always doing something. Oh, he's always doing something. God, he's just a busybody. His to do list never ends. It never ends. So, yeah. And that's I mean, that's kind of how we got together. He was a friend of Josh's and helping out and just helping out with things all the time. And then little did he know he'd be. Out a lot more. That's great, though. So I'm so happy you have him in your life. Well, thank you, thank you. Just the more time I spent with him, the more time I wanted to spend with him, and went from there. The last thing I really want to touch on, we touched on a little bit, but how are you finding balancing social media? Is it a chore to you? Because you are, whether you label yourself as one or not, you're an influencer. Oh boy, you have. I know it's a big, scary word, but you're an influencer. You have such a solid following. People really love not only your product, but also you as a person and your story. So how are you juggling that? Like, are you finding it to be taxing? Is it draining to you? Do you get joy from it? Um, Honestly, I think people probably think that I document my whole life in stories, but I really don't. There are a lot of things that like, oh, crap, I should have put that on Sunny Mary Meadow. Probably would have been good. Oh, well, too late now. You know, like if we go on a trip or something, like I don't post about that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm still life and death safety. Like, yay, we're going to be gone and our house is unlocked and come on over. Like, no, no, none of that stuff. Um, you know, when we get back, I'll be like, hey, we were gone over the weekend, but I didn't tell you until we got back. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, things like that. And so just always keeping that safety in mind. But honestly, what keeps me going on it and makes me not want to quit is I'm sure there are people out there that think I post too much or they're sick of hearing about my husband or they're sick of hearing about grief or they're sick of hearing about my flowers or whatever but I don't do it for them because I'm not kidding when I say I get 10 dms a day from people and that's why I started my second instagram account and that's the bloom and grow account talking more about the grief and I mean I think I have a 900 and it's just under a thousand followers on there. And I have over 900 people that watch my stories. I mean, it's like a 95% interaction rate on there when I look at, you know, the insights. And it's because they are the most loyal of the Sunny Mary Meadow followers and they're there for the grief. And they're like, this helped me so much. And I will try to share things like on my husband's death anniversary this last year, it was two years. And I explained like, hey guys, today was a tough day. 
And I think, you know, so many people like, oh, you miss him. And I know you miss him. And we miss him. And I'm like, I'm not thinking about him. I wish I was. I'm thinking about the day that I had to do CPR on my husband. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the fact that I was probably eating leftover birthday cake from my daughter when he was dying in our home. Like, that's what I'm thinking about. It's real trauma. I'm thinking about the sheriff. I'm thinking about the organ donor call. Like, it's legit PTSD. And so just teaching people that I'm not saying that's for everyone because I never want to speak for anyone, even though my best friend is also a widow. Like I never talk about her story unless, you know, permission. And I mean, I'll briefly say like this coincidence, but like her story is her story. I mean, I've had friends that have lost children. I've had other friends that have lost significant others. I've had friends that have lost parents and I cannot speak for them and how they feel. But For the most part, I think the majority of people, like if it's a death anniversary or something, like they're thinking about the day it happened and it was a terrible, terrible day. Like it's an anniversary of that. And sometimes that anticipatory grief the the week before when you're like, man, this Saturday is going to suck. And so guess what? You're crabby all week. And why are you crabby? Because I know Saturday is going to suck and it's Tuesday and Saturday is the anniversary and it sucks. And like sharing that and people understand Oh, it's not, you know, it's not that I haven't moved on or it's not that I, it's just like, it's just a crabby day and I don't want to talk about it. Like it's coming. And so I, I try to share some of those things and that's definitely what a lot of the book is going to be is those experiences and just giving insightfulness. Cause if you know better, you do better and you understand. And now people, Oh, now I maybe know how to talk to my friend that lost a child. Now I know how to talk to my coworker that lost their spouse. Mm -hmm. Now I know what to say and what not to say and maybe what they're feeling. And like I said, I never want to speak to how someone's feeling because that's, that's not my way of doing it. And, you know, maybe there's people listening that, no, that's not how I feel. For example, the book that, you know, told me to be mad at someone. I wasn't until you told me to. Right. Yeah. You know? And so I think, um, you know, when it comes to the social media part, like, if I can, you know, help people and, you know, touch people along the way and, you know, not touch people. We're not touching people. Sorry. Consensually <laughs> touch their phone Consensually screens. Touch their phone screens. <laughs> Sorry. Inappropriate. Um, you know, if I can help spread that message, you know, and again, as a healthcare provider and it's okay, it's okay. And grief is weird. And it's just, you know, like I had a friend that brought some plates over and we just smashed them for a while. And, the day after my husband died, when we were trying to figure out funeral plans, I literally went into my office and I took my printer and I threw it at a mirror and I screamed and my dad came in and obviously there's like a broken <laughs> printer and a broken mirror. And I looked at him and I said, and I'm not fucking cleaning it up. And I walked away and am I proud of that moment? Honestly, yeah, maybe a little bit. <laughs> I feel better, but not really. I mean, it was, you know, and like I said, it was less than 24 hours after my husband had died, but like those things are real. And now we can kind of laugh about it and kind of talk about it. My husband died of a heart attack. Your father-in-law died of a Mm -hmm. heart attack. Do you notice now how many times people say, oh my God, I'd have a heart attack. It, yeah. It's a common phrase. Freaks me out. And it's like, don't say that. Like, you know, or, oh my God, your your dad would have a heart attack if that happened. Or, Mm -hmm. oh my God, I about had a heart attack. It's like, okay. Like read the room. Don't say that to me. My husband died of a heart attack, but yet it's like, like, again, that's the intention. Mm-hmm. They weren't trying to be mean. Right. And such a common phrase. Like, I've even caught myself saying that. Yeah. I'm like, nope, rewind, back mm-hmm. it up. I'm going to choose a different phrase. Yep, exactly, exactly. And there are so many things like that. And so when I can share things like that within social media, and 
again, within my flowers and within that. And, you know, just, it just helps. It just helps. I feel like, and other people that don't help or, you know, when people unfollow me, I'm like, good, sweet. Cause they probably weren't interacting anyway. And exactly. That's, that's not my target customer. And it's not, it's not just about customers. It's not about selling flowers. Like obviously I, I want to sell flowers so I can, you know, pay my bills and you know, this is a business and that's just a hobby anymore, but you know, just develop those deeper relationships, making those connections. Yeah. That's so great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. We've been kind of seeing some scheduling issues trying yeah, to get it done. Yeah, but a couple months in. I'm so glad we did. And we're going to have to do it again because. Yes, we're going to have to do it again. We've got ideas. We've got ideas. Get the gears turning a little mm-hmm. bit. <laughs> but thank you, Liz. Before I end this recording here, tell everyone where they can get your flowers, find you online, get your book, all that stuff. Yeah. So www.sunnymarymeadow.com, S-U-N-N-Y, Mary, the name, M-A-R-Y, meadow.com. Instagram, Sunny Mary Meadow. Um, Facebook, Sunny Mary Meadow, um, located north of St. Joe, Minnesota. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. You're the best. I know. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Small Town Tourist Podcast. I'm your host, Abby Minky Graves. Our theme song is That's My Hometown by Aaron Simmons. You can find him online, aaronsimmonsmusic.com, and wherever you stream music. Be sure to check out the blog, thesmalltowntourist.com, and follow on Instagram, at thesmalltowntourist.com.